On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I talk about my trip to Scotland and I talk you through in great detail what it's like to have a coronavirus test. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 34 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. For 52 weeks between the ages of 24 and 25, I'm going to be recording and releasing a weekly podcast to see just how much my life can change in a year. This is the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and it's a completely honest view into my life as I take on some fairly unusual things. And this episode right here is all about week number 34 in that journey. And it's a hot one. I am boiling. I'm not sure about where you are, uh, but I'm in Wales right now, and today has been so hot. According to the weather, it's only like 24, 25 degrees, but I think a mixture between uh, just the heat, the sun, uh, no cloud cover, no wind, it is just, it's so fucking hot today. Um, I went on a walk earlier, and the the office, the area where the office is, is quite, uh, like, hilly, quite steep. You walk about 40 metres upwards, as in you're at the bottom of the hill, you're like 80 metres above sea level, and then you walk up this hill and you're like 120 above it. So it's a steep old hill. And I tell you what, walking up that at lunchtime today in this weather in black jeans and a black t-shirt was a bad idea. I was absolutely sweating. But I say that by the time this episode comes out in like a day's time, I'm sure it's going to be fucking raining again for a few weeks, so I shouldn't complain. Uh, But yeah, hello. (laughs) I hope you're well now that that random uh, historical weather forecast is out of the way. Um, It's going to be another one of those weeks this week where I'm just going to talk at you because uh, there's there's not a huge amount that's been going on that's particularly of interest. Uh, So this is just going to be one of those uh, one of those weeks where I just talk about what I've been doing life wise. And I think the place to start is where we left off last week. So if you remember last week, I recorded the episode uh, number 33 uh, one day early. And that's because I was off on last Thursday to Scotland, to Edinburgh. And so uh, we drove up there, as I spoke about in last week's episode, despite my uh, negotiation skills, doing everything I could to try and convince Richard that we should take the one hour, 20 pound flight to Edinburgh, rather than the eight hour God knows how expensive drive. Uh, That's a battle I lost. And so we drove to Edinburgh. We stopped off on the way in Warrington, I think. The only person I know of from Warrington is Mike Winnett, the YouTuber, does the Contrepreneur Formula series. Really good. If you haven't already watched it, go check it out. Uh, And then Chloe also told me that apparently George Sampson used to live in Warrington. So there you go. Two Warrington facts that you will never use again. Uh, Left Warrington drove up to Edinburgh and you know what it's actually a really really nice city I said last week that I have never been to Scotland but actually I don't think that's true back in like 2012 maybe I did a project with somebody from Twilio and we um we did like a week-long tour of different centers that were taken part in like a youth coding project called YRS And basically, uh, I was filming and 
uh, we we stopped in, like I say, a bunch of centres from Brighton right the way up to the, uh, well, to Edinburgh and back down. So I have actually been to Edinburgh, but it was for like 30 minutes and it was car park to the place where we were filming, back into the car and back down. So I don't actually remember from that trip anything to do with Edinburgh. But it's a really, really nice city. Um, it's it's entirely different to Cardiff. It's entirely different to London. Uh, it almost, well, I mean, it is technically a different country, right? But it almost feels like it's, um, I don't know about you, but do you, do you know that feeling where you get off a plane in a new country and you're being transferred between the airport and the hotel and you look around you and everything, although it's the same, like there's road and there's fields and there's cars and there's like road signs, although it's all the same, it's also because it's that slight bit different when it's all merged together, you can really, really tell you're in a different country. So like the slightly different color of tarmac and the slightly different number plates and the slightly unusual road signs and the things that they're growing in the fields, which, you know, wouldn't grow in the UK. It's not quite as extreme as that feeling, but driving through Scotland, particularly when you get, uh, not even just Scotland, when you get like north of Yorkshire and that, that landscape that you just don't see in England, um, that was probably the most, what's the word, like striking thing. You know, where I live in Wales is quite hilly. Uh, it's nothing compared to areas such as the Brecon Beacons, but it's quite hilly, particularly compared to Corby, which is what I'm used to for the whole of my life. But the hills in Wales compared to the landscape of Scotland is just entirely different. Um, but yeah, Edinburgh was good. Did a bus tour. Never done a bus tour before in my life, like a guided bus tour. But that was really interesting. Uh, what did we learn on the bus tour? We saw uh, a pub that was dedicated to the man who the story Jekyll and Hyde was based on. Didn't know that was based on a real person. Turns out it is. Uh, we saw the building where Alexandra Graham Bell was born. That's kind of interesting um, when you consider his inventions and the impact that they've had on all of our lives. The impact that his inventions had on exactly what's happening right now when it comes to this podcast and the audio and everything around it. That was cool to see. Um, what else? I don't really know. It was just a cool little trip. So we were there... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then we drove back down from Scotland Sunday night, and we're back in the office on, no, we weren't back on the office on Monday morning, actually, and I'm going to tell you why now, I completely forgot, so, got back from Scotland Sunday night, and I was sat on my bed, and I thought, oh, I feel a bit warm, now I think, you know, spoiler is, I think, because I was just a bit dehydrated from sitting in a car, not drinking water for eight hours. But nonetheless, I thought, oh, I feel a bit warm. So took my temperature and I was like 37.7 degrees. And then I told Richard to take his temperature. And similarly, he was something like 38.2 degrees or thereabouts, right? So we were both uh, in the range of a temperature that you could probably call a fever. Now I felt fine completely fine didn't have anything that I would describe as flu-like symptoms but in the current climate with everything going on and because I had what could have been considered a fever um, although I'd consider it just like a mild temperature but nonetheless in this current climate I thought this might be what the gov.uk website calls a fever therefore uh, we should probably book ourselves in for a coronavirus test now typically if I had spent the last few days just in the office and at home and kind of distancing myself from people, I probably wouldn't have got the test because 
uh, you know, when, when you know where you've been and the two or three people you've interacted with and you can kind of extend that out and guess who they have interacted with, your chances in the current climate with the current uh, infection rate per thousand people or whatever it is, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's very unlikely that you have coronavirus. But that wasn't the case, of course. I just spent four days... Uh, traveling all the way up to Scotland, stopping in service stations, stopping in Warrington to have food, uh, three full days in Scotland, going to restaurants, going to shops, walking around busy streets, sitting on a tour bus, and then the exact reverse, back down from Scotland to England, again, stopping in places for food, stopping in service stations. It's probably the most human contact I've had in the last five months, uh, by a long way, actually. And so when you put together the, the few days that I had just had, with uh, the the potential symptom of a fever i just thought it would be wise to book in a test and so that's what we did uh, we booked a coronavirus test on the monday morning had that test at like 10 30 a.m and then came back home obviously to self-isolate until such a time that we got the test results before I go into the, the test results and a few other interesting points or thoughts I had on it, I need to tell you about the coronavirus test because I'm not sure if you've heard, but fuck me, it is the least pleasant thing I've probably ever done. I'm racking my brain right now, literally thinking out loud, trying to think if there's anything else that I've ever done that's as unpleasant. And I can't think of anything, so we're going to go with it. The coronavirus test is the least pleasant thing I have ever had to do. So you book in your test online, you fill in a few details, and then you get sent by email a QR code and an appointment slot. So you have to turn up at the test centre, the drive-in test centre, in a like a 30-minute window. So you uh, pull up to the test centre. There's like a security box at the front where they wave you in. And then you drive around and you get stopped by some people and they're the people who essentially check you in. So they come out wearing full PPE gear. Uh, they ask you to roll down your window by like one inch so that there's still that glass shield between you uh, and the people who are talking to you. But so that you can hear what they're saying and they can hear your answers. And essentially they ask, is it both of you who are having a test? Because of course it was both Richard and I in the car at the time. Is it both of you having the test? Yes, it is. So then they ask to scan using a mobile phone the QR code in each of our emails, which essentially checked us into the test center and I guess somewhere in their system confirmed that we had attended and that we were about to take a test. So then they tell you to pull into a bay and I'm not sure what any other test centers are like, but the one that we were in, there's like five, uh, like enormous gazebo spread out across this big park and ride car park. And so you drive up until you're uh, like, waved into one of the bays which is the next available bay you drive in underneath this tent and again you roll down your window ever so slightly and somebody else comes up to the car they check that it's the two of you who are having the tests and then they bring out these two like they're almost like postage bags so if you've ever ordered like a, a t-shirt or something like that online and it comes in that kind of like plastic envelopey postage bag thing uh, that's what the kit comes in so we each get handed one of those and it has this like bit of paper stapled to the front and we're instructed to pull forward drive into a parking bay because of course when it's not a coronavirus test center it's a car park so there's a bunch of parking bays there pull into there follow the instructions that are outlined inside of the leaflet inside of that envelope thing 
carry out the test and then when we finished taking the test and everything's nicely inside of the biohazard bag that you get given put on your hazard lights and somebody will come over and give you the the next steps right so pull into the parking space open up the bag and inside of it there's like uh, well to begin with there's an information booklet there is a swab so think of like a cotton wool bud thing that you clean your ears with but it's just like three times the length so it's this like enormous swab uh, there's a couple of bags there is a set of gloves there's like an alcohol not an alcohol like a absorbent pad thing and then a like sample tube with a lid on with some red liquid in and so what you need to do and i promise it's fucking horrible um if ever there was an advert for following social distance guidelines if ever there was an advert for making sure that you're wearing a face mask if ever there was an advert for being sensible right now it is the fear of having to do another coronavirus test because they're just fucking horrible uh, don't get me wrong i'm 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 sure that they are far better than having to actually suffer with coronavirus but nonetheless as a um as a test they're just shit so you take the enormous cotton wool bud swab thing out of its packet and what you need to do is you need to take a 10 second sample on each of your tonsils or if you don't have tonsils where the tonsils would have been so that is right to the back of your throat and then you need to literally rub this kind of like irritating cotton thing onto your fucking tonsils for 10 seconds on each side now i probably don't need to explain to you how much that makes you gag um to the point where I did the one side, swabbed it, gagging loads, horrible, tears in my eyes just from the, well, from gagging, I guess, which is, by the way, a sentence I never thought I'd say on this podcast, but there we go. Um, and then I was doing the other side and I probably got to about five seconds and I'm not sure if you know this feeling, but imagine it's like 4am and you're in a nightclub and you're really fucking drunk and somebody buys you a, a shot of alcohol that you really don't like. So... In my case, back in the day, that would be a Jager bomb, but it could be tequila, Sambuca, whatever. It's one of those shots that you know, you know if you drink that shot because you're already feeling ill and you can't stomach that particular alcohol. You know that if you take that shot, you're going to be sick. That's the exact feeling. And literally it popped into my mind as it was happening because that is the exact feeling I had when I had to put that bud back in my mouth for those like five seconds. So I just, I thought, fuck it. I'm not going to do it because... You know, it's been in there at the back of my throat for like 15 seconds. I'm sure if there is any trace of coronavirus, it's definitely picked up by now. Uh, so that's the bad bit, but then it gets worse. With the exact same cotton bud thing, uh, using the exact same end, what you then need to do, and bear in mind this thing's like wet, it smells of the back of your throat, uh, you're already a bit of a fucking mess from all of the... Uh, throat swabbing couldn't think of a word there i'm not sure that's a technical term so after all of that you then need to shove this exact same cotton bud which is wet and stinks about one and a half inches up your nose now i'm sure you can visualize how uh how big one and a half inches is so if you were to just hold that uh that size up against your nose right now of your fingers you you get a grasp for really how far up your fucking nostril that is it's just horrible it is just horrible but there we go so you do all of that and then you put the the sample that you've taken into this kind of 
tube thing which has some red liquid you snap off the excess uh, length of the stick that it's on you put the lid on you put it in one bag you wrap it up you put it in another bag you put your hazard lights on and then somebody comes over and they scan the barcode on your phone and the barcode on your sample and that links the two of them together and then you drive towards the end of the test center uh, drop it in a box which actually feels a little bit like a polling station, which is weird. It feels a lot like you're voting, just rather than with a pen, you're using, like, fucking a sample from the back of your throat. Uh, and then you leave. And we left, we went back home, of course, uh, and we waited. So I was sat in my bedroom for, well, it must have been about 18 hours. Wake up the next morning, 6am, I've got an email and a text from NHS, no reply, and it basically says, your coronavirus test was negative and it then goes on to explain that basically that means that coronavirus was not present at the time when you were tested and then it gives you just a bunch of follow-up information but um a few thoughts on this right firstly it's fucking incredible uh, when you look at the workflow of a coronavirus test station like that how efficient it is how well the technology works how you can have a sample back to you in uh, I think the email came through just after midnight and our test was at about 11am by the time we got there. The fact that you can take a test, uh, drop it off and then it gets transited to some lab, uh, processed and then you have the results in 13 hours. And the fact that a test centre like that exists every few miles all the way across the UK and is doing hundreds of thousands of tests, it's just incredible when you think about the amount of uh, resource and infrastructure that has been rolled out so quickly to respond to something that six months ago we didn't even know existed it's just incredible so there's that um and then the other interesting thought which i spoke about in this week's email if you haven't already read it i'll explain it a little bit is basically that in that uh that kind of 18 hour period between taking the test and waking up the next morning to see the results uh, despite the fact that clearly objectively from the test i did not i do not have coronavirus uh, what was playing on my mind it was a form of confirmation bias in which i had already kind of preemptively decided okay i think that because of the symptom i have and because of the fact that i've been traveling for four days i kind of decided that the test result was going to be positive i decided that i was going to have coronavirus and then my mind started playing tricks on me to convince me that that was the case right so the the high temperature was joined by like aching muscles and the aching muscles was joined by the fact that for a brief period i thought my lungs felt a bit funny i was kind of going through this imaginary tick list in my mind and thinking yes i have this symptom and that symptom and this symptom when in reality i didn't i was a bit warm probably because i was dehydrated my muscles weren't really sore because the second i woke up the next day and saw the negative result they weren't aching. My lungs clearly didn't hurt because the second I saw the negative result, they didn't hurt, right? But I just thought it was an interesting observation. Like I said, I spoke about it in the email in a little bit more detail, but I thought it was an interesting observation about how when we convince ourselves that something is true, our minds can and do play tricks on us to kind of work backwards from that point, that decision that we've made, and then convince us that um, the evidence aligns. And uh, we can see this everywhere in life, from politics to personal development. Uh, confirmation bias is something that's incredibly powerful. 
but never have I had a form of confirmation bias that I could so clearly and objectively look at and realize that I was wrong. Because, you know, if you say you lack confidence, you're never going to get a text from the NHS the next day which says, no, actually, you are confident. You know, there's there's no real way to measure something like that. And so confirmation bias in areas such as that can slip in and really take hold of your life over months and years and you might never notice it. But it was interesting to see those symptoms that kind of were invented in my mind then get completely blown out of the water because an objective test was done. Uh, it just really showed me the power of confirmation bias and how we really need to keep ourselves in check to make sure that we're making uh, decisions about both ourselves and the world around us based on true evidence and not we are not what we have uh, convinced ourselves to be true. So there was that. Uh, what else? Booked a trip to Poland yesterday. Uh, going in September with Chloe. That'll be fun. Um, never been to Poland. Didn't know that Poland was a two and a half hour flight away either. But there we go. That should be interesting. Um, reading The Secret GP at the moment. Really good book. Highly recommend it. Uh, it's essentially if you've read The Secret Barrister or you know the concept of The Secret Barrister. It's essentially that. But somebody who's a GP has done the exact same thing. So it is a year's worth of uh, notes and insight and thoughts from a real practicing GP who is a GP right now. They've essentially anonymized all of their patient uh, stories and then they tell a year's worth of stories which gives you a really interesting view into what it's like to be a GP in the UK right now. Super interesting, incredibly easy to read because it's written in like a, a diary format so I really recommend that. And I think that's it. I'm going to very quickly... Uh, open up Instagram whilst we're talking and pick out a question to answer from today's uh, little question sticker that I put up. Uh, this is a good one. So, World of AJ. AJ said, when you achieve the ultimate OG goal, how do you keep your drive from dipping? Now, I'll be real. I don't know. Because, you know, I have these bigger picture goals for myself in life and I have never hit any of them because they're so big right so I don't know what it feels like to hit one of your kind of lifelong goals and then try and find motivation after that but because of that uh, and even because of the way I just phrased uh, that last statement I can tell you for sure that one of the worst things you can do is have absolutely fixed set in stone goals uh, that you're likely to achieve now I know that that sounds mad but work with me here right uh, you look at businesses and there's like, I mean, in marketing particularly, there's smart goals which are like achievable and measurable and all these things. And that's great when you're a business and when you need to look at a profit and loss forecast and work out whether your business is making money. It's a good idea to be able to hit all of your goals. But setting goals in life uh, where you're likely to hit them and also goals where you've built your entire life around those goals is a terrible idea, in my opinion, because when you hit them, and this is suggested in the question from AJ, when you hit them, what do you have to aim for? And so, you know, if you've listened to the last few episodes, um, you would have heard me talk about this really recently before. I think it may even have been last week's episode, so I won't go into it in too much detail, but for the exact same reason that I imagine uh, that question comes from, I try not to set outcome-based goals in my life. So I don't say I want 10,000 weekly listeners on a podcast. Instead, I set process-based goals. I say that it is my goal 
to record and release a podcast every single week, come what may. And, you know, the eventual, uh, the progress in theory is the same, right? Because how you get to 10,000 podcast listeners is by releasing a podcast consistently for a long period of time. But if you set that arbitrary number as the goal, rather than setting the goal as to follow a process, uh, one of them you reach and then you realize that you know the, the, the achievement of that goal doesn't bring happiness, so you either lose motivation or you set another goal and it's this recurring cycle, or you set a goal to commit to a process. Um, and you see this with... There was, for example, there was this interview that came out, uh, I think, this week with Ed Sheeran. He sat down for an hour and did a big interview. And one of the things he said is that he enjoyed playing small sometimes empty venues and open mic nights more than he did doing his record run at Wembley for, what was it, three, four nights? And I thought that was interesting. I'm literally thinking out loud here um, to connect these two points together, right? But playing Wembley is a goal-based, sorry, an outcome-based goal. And it's quite black and white. You either have played Wembley or, or you haven't. And so once you've done that, particularly when you're a UK musician where Wembley is like the the largest and the most iconic venue that you can possibly play, when you play that at the age of like 27, 28, whatever he was at the time in 2015, where do you go from there? Whereas when he was playing open mic nights, sure, he probably had goals. They could have been like to get signed to a label and so on, but they weren't, as AJ puts it, OG goals. Um... It was the process, right? It was the the process of perfecting his craft, of getting up on stage, of playing new songs, of seeing what does and doesn't work with particular audiences, of trying his small talk in between tracks, of getting confident with being on stage, of all of these things. He said that that was more fulfilling and that he learned more from focusing on that than he did from playing the biggest and most iconic music venue in the whole of the UK. And so if ever there was a reason to focus on processed based goals rather than outcome based goals whether or not it answers the question because i really don't know the answer that should be the reason and that's all i got i don't know how long this episode has been uh, but i'm gonna go and get food i am gonna go and pack my bag because tomorrow i am off to corby uh, actually tomorrow the first thing i'm doing is getting a haircut which i'm very excited about it's going to be my first uh, professional barber based haircut for about five or six months so i'm really excited about that to look a little bit less rough around the edges and then i'm off to corby we've got a meeting in corby tomorrow night with a prospective new client and then it's the weekend and i don't really know what i'm doing this weekend but whatever you're doing i hope you have a good time i hope the weather continues to be sunny and i'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 35 of life and lessons see you then
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.